Volume Four, Chapter Thirteen of *The Old Manor House*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julia Lenarden. *The Old Manor House* by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume Four, Chapter Thirteen. The young man to whom Orlando now applied was very sincerely his friend, and possessed an acute and penetrating mind. He saw at once all the importance of the business, and the hazard Orlando would incur by the smallest delay. Mrs. Roker's letter evidently expressed a mind fluctuating between resentment towards her husband, and unwillingness to acknowledge the folly she had committed in marrying him and as no great dependence could be placed on the repentance of a person under the influence of such a contrariety of passions, there was reason to fear that her love, or what she fancied so, her pride, her avarice, and her fear, might unite to conquer the compunction she had shown, and to make her discover the steps she had taken to her husband. Dawson advised, therefore, an immediate application to a justice of peace for a warrant to search the house that night and as there was none resident in the town, Orlando set out with him in a post-chaise for the house of a magistrate, about seven miles distant, who had formerly been much acquainted with the Somerive family, and had always been full of professions of regard for them. To this man, now in much higher affluence than formerly, by the acquisitions of the fortunes of some of his relations, Dawson opened the business on which they came. But here he had occasion to remark the truth of that observation thirteen, which, whoever has seen many vicissitudes of fortune, must have too often beheld, as a melancholy evidence of the depravity of our nature, that in the misfortunes of our best friends there is something not displeasing to us. Far from appearing to rejoice at the probability which now offered itself, that the son of his old friend would be restored to the right of his ancestors, and from depressing indigence be raised to high prosperity, this gentleman seemed to take pains to throw difficulties in his way. He doubted the letter for Mrs. Roker, he doubted the legality of his granting a warrant, and it was not till after considerable delay and long arguments that he was at length prevailed upon to lend Orlando the assistance of the civil power, without the immediate exertion of which it seemed possible that his hopes might be again baffled. Orlando was not without apprehensions that this worthy magistrate might send immediate information of what was passing to Dr. Hollyburn, and he determined, late as it was, to go to Rayland Hall that night. He set forward, therefore, attended by Dawson, two other young men of the same town who were eager for his success, and the persons who were to execute the warrant. It was midnight when they arrived at the hall. All was profoundly silent around it, and it had no longer the appearance of an inhabited house. The summons, however loud, was unanswered. As the men rapped violently at the old door of the servants' hall, the sullen sounds murmured through the empty courts, and to their call only hollow echoes were returned. These attempts to gain admittance were repeated again and again without effect, and they began to conclude that there was nobody within the house. But at length some of them, going round to another part of the house, the man who had charge of it looked out of window and demanded their business. Upon hearing there was a warrant and a constable, the fellow, 
who had deeply engaged in the same sort of business as that which used to be carried on by Patterson and company, imagined immediately that he had been informed against. But, as there was no remedy, he came down with fear and trembling to open the door, and it was a great relief to him to learn that it was only for a paper which might occasion the house to change its master, but not for any of his effects that the intended search was to be made. The posse now proceeded to the place indicated by the letter of Mrs. Roker. The constable, a most magisterial person, marching by the side of Orlando, while Dawson and his friends followed with candles in their hands, and as silently they ascended the great staircase and traversed the long dark passages that led towards the apartment in question, Orlando could not, amid the anxiety of such a moment, help fancying that the scene resembled one of those so often met within old romances and fairy tales, where the hero is, by some supernatural means, directed to a golden key which opens an invisible drawer, where a hand or a head is found swimming in blood, which it is his business to restore to the enchanted owner. With a beating heart, however, he saw the picture of Lady Alithia removed, and the sliding board appear. On entering the closet, the tin box covered with a green cloth was discovered. The key, which Orlando possessed, opened it, and the casket was within it, which he unlocked in the presence of all the persons present, and saw the important paper exactly as it had been described by Mrs. Roker. He now debated whether he should open it, but at length, with the advice of his friend Dawson, determined not to do so till his arrival in London. Replacing everything else as it was found, and securing the closet and the room that led to it, he now hastened to reward the persons who had attended him on this search, and without resting, set out post with Dawson for London, where they arrived at nine o'clock the next morning. Orlando hastened immediately to the house of his mother, with sensations very different from those which he had quitted it. He found Minimia alone in the dining-room, pensively attentive to the two children of Isabella who were playing on the carpet. She received him with that degree of transport which showed itself in tears, nor could he prevail upon her for a moment or two to be more composed, and to answer his inquiries after his mother and his sisters. She at length told him that Mrs. Summerive had been so much affected by the visits her brother had made during his absence, by his reproaches for her false indulgence to both her sons, and by his total dislike to the marriage of Orlando, which he had represented in the most absurd folly, and as the utter ruin of his nephew, and by the disposition he, Mr. Woodford, showed to withdraw all assistance from her and her two youngest daughters, if she did not wholly withdraw all countenance both from Orlando and Isabella, that Mrs. Summerive was actually sinking under the pain such repeated instances of cruelty had inflicted, and had determined, rather than continue to be obliged to a brother who was capable of thus empoisoning the favours her circumstances obliged her to accept, to quit London, discharge all but one servant, and to retire to some cheap part of Wales or Scotland, where the little income she possessed might be more sufficient to their support. Orlando, who felt that some precaution was necessary in revealing to Monimia the fortunate reverse that now presented itself, was considering how to begin this propitious discovery, when his mother, who eagerly expected him, having learned from the servants that he was arrived, 
sent down Selina to beg to see him. She put back the curtain as he came into the room, and held out her hand to him, but was unable to speak. The mournful particulars she expected, which, however, she had not courage to ask, filled her heart with bitterness, and her eyes with tears. Orlando, affected by the looks and the pathetic silence of his mother, kissed with extreme emotion the hand she gave him. He thanked her, after a moment's silence, for her goodness to Monimia during the few days of his absence, and entreated her to be in better spirits. He then gradually discovered to her, by a short and clear relation of what had happened, the assurance he now had, with the transactions of that evening would, he hoped, confirm, of a speedy change in their circumstances. The heart of Mrs. Somerive, so long accustomed to only sorrow and solicitude, was no longer sensible to those acute feelings which agitate the warm and sanguine bosom of youth, but to hear that her children, from whom she only wished to live, were likely to be at once rescued from the indigence which impended over them, and secured in affluence and prosperity, could not be heard with calmness. At length both herself and her son acquired composure enough to consider the proper steps to be taken. Every person interested was summoned to attend that evening at the house of Mrs. Somerive, who found herself animated enough to be present at the opening of the will, at which all who were sent for were present, except Dr. Hollyburn, who sent his attorney, and the Rokers. The elder only sent a protest against it by his clerk, and the younger thought it safer immediately to disappear. It was found, on the perusal of this important paper, that the codicils belonging to it, that, with the exception of five thousand pounds and two hundred a year for her life to her old companion Leonard, Mrs. Rayland had given everything she possessed, both real and personal, to Orlando, without any other restriction than settling the whole of her landed estate of the Rayland family on his male heirs, and appropriating a sum of money to purchase the title of a baronet, and for an act to enable him to take and bear the name and arms of Rayland only. The subsequent proceedings were easy and expeditious. Against a will so authenticated, all opposition was vain, and within three weeks Orlando was put in possession of his estate, and Dr. Hollerburn obliged, with extreme reluctance, not only to deliver up all which he and his brother had taken into their hands, but to refund the rents and the payments for timber, which operation went to the poor doctor's heart. There are some men who have such an extreme affection for money, even when it does not belong to them, that they cannot determine to part with it when once they get possession of it. Of this order was the worthy doctor, who, with charity and urbanity always in his mouth, had an heart rendered callous by avarice, and a passion for the swinish gratifications of the table, to which the possession of Rayland Hall, the gardens and hothouses of which he alone kept up, had lately so considerably contributed that he could not bear to relinquish then, and actually suffered so much from mortification that he was obliged to go to Bath to cure a bilious illness which vexation and gluttony contributed to bring on. Orlando lost no time in rescuing the unfortunate Mrs. Roker from the hands of her tyrant, who, in order to incapacitate her from giving that testimony which he knew was in her power, and with which he often had threatened him, had taken out against her a commission of lunacy. 
it was superseded on the application of Orlando, who himself immediately conducted Mrs. Roker to Rayland Hall, where he put her in possession of the apartments she had formerly occupied, and employed her to superintend, as she was still active and alert, the workmen whom he directed to repair and refurnish the house, and the servants whom he hired to prepare it for the reception of its lovely mistress. He forbore to pursue Roker himself, as he might have done, having no pleasure in revenge, and being rather solicitous to give those he loved future tranquillity than to avenge on others those past misfortunes, which perhaps served only to make him more sensible of his present felicity. Fortune, as if weary of the long persecutions the Summerith family had experienced, seemed now resolved to make them amends by showering her favours upon every branch of it. Warwick had hardly rejoiced a week in the good fortune of Orlando, when he received a summons to attend General Tracy, who, quite exhausted by infirmity, saw the end of his life approaching, and sacrificed his resentments, which time had already considerably weakened. He was not, however, yet able to see Isabella, but his pride had been alarmed by the accounts he had received of Warwick's distressed circumstances, and, above all, of his having a play come forward at one of the theatres, which, though it was to pass as the work of an unknown young author, with a suppositious name, was well known to be and publicly spoken of as his. That his nephew, that the nephew of an earl should become an author and write for support, was so distressing to the haughty spirit of the old soldier, that though he saw many examples of the same thing in people of equal rank, he could not bear it and the very means his brother's family took to irritate him against Warwick by informing him of his circumstance, contributed more than anything else to the resolution he formed of seeing his nephew and restoring him to his favour. Warwick immediately agreed to withdraw his play. His uncle burnt the will by which he had been disinherited, and died about five months afterwards, bequeathing to his two boys by Isabella all his landed estates after their father, who was to enjoy them, together with his great personal property, for his life. In the meantime, the happy Orlando had conducted his lovely wife, his mother, and his sisters to Rayland Hall, where, without spoiling that look of venerable antiquity for which it was so remarkable, he collected within it every comfort and every elegance of modern life. With what grateful transports did he now walk with Monimia over the park, and talk with her of their early pleasures, and of their severe subsequent sufferings, and how sensible did these retrospects render them both of their present happiness. Orlando was only a few weeks in undisputed possession of his estate, before he presented to each of his sisters five thousand pounds, and, to add to his power of gratifying his mother, it happened that very soon after his arrival at Rayland Hall, Mr. Stockton died, the victim of that intemperance which exorbitant wealth and very little understanding had led him into. As he had no children, his very large property was divided among distant relations, his joint heirs. Caroline Castle was sold, pulled down by the purchaser, and the park converted into farms. And in this division of property, the house and estate at West Wolverton, formerly belonging to the Summerive family, were to be sold also. 
This, his paternal house, had been inhabited by farmers, under tenants of Stockton, when Orlando's last melancholy visit was paid to it. He now purchased it, and putting it as nearly as he could into the same state as it was at the death of his father, he presented it to his mother with the estate around it, and thither she went to reside with her two youngest daughters, though they all occasionally paid visits to the hall, particularly Selina, of whom Orlando and his Monimia were equally fond. Incapable of ingratitude, or of forgetting for a moment those to whom he had once been obliged, Orlando was no sooner happy in his restored fortune than he thought of the widow of his military friend, Fleming. To Fleming himself he owed it that he existed at all. To his widow, that an existence so preserved had not been rendered a curse by the estrangement or loss of Monimia. One of the first uses, therefore, that he made of his assured prosperity was to remove from this respectable protectress of his beloved Monimia the mortifications and inconveniences of very narrow circumstances. He wrote to her, entreating her to see her at the hall with her children, that she would stay there, at least until after the accession of happiness he was to expect in the autumn. Towards the middle of September, Mrs. Fleming and her younger children arrived, and in a few days afterwards, Monimia's gallant young friend, the sailor, to whom she owed her providential introduction to Mrs. Fleming, unexpectedly made his appearance. He returned from a very successful cruise. He was made a lieutenant, and had obtained leave of absence for ten days to comfort with these tidings the heart of his widowed mother. When, not finding her at her usual habitation in the new forest, he had followed her to Rayland Hall, where he was a most welcomed guest. This young man, who was in disposition and in figure exact representative of his father, could not long be insensible of the charms of the gentle Selina, and he spoke to Orlando of the affection he had conceived for her with his natural sincerity. Orlando, who never felt the value of what he possessed so much as when it enabled him to contribute to the happiness of his friends, seized with avidity an offer which seemed so likely to constitute that of his beloved sister. And he had the happiness in a few days of discovering that the old sea-officer, Fleming's relation and patron, was so well pleased with his gallant behaviour in the engagement he had lately been in, that he had determined to make him his heir, and most readily consented to make a settlement upon him more than adequate to the fortune Orlando had given his sister, and it was settled that Selina and Lieutenant Fleming should in a few months be united. Orlando was very soon after made completely happy by the birth of a son, to whom he gave his own name, and who seemed to render his charming mother yet more dear to all around her. Every subsequent hour of the lives of Orlando and his Monimia was marked by some act of beneficence, and happy in themselves and in their connections. Their gratitude to heaven for the extensive blessings they enjoyed was shown in contributing to the cheerfulness of all around them. In the number of those who felt the sunshine of their prosperity, and prayed for its continuance, no individual was more sincere in his joy, or more fervent in repeated expressions of it, than the useful old military mendicant, whose singular services Orlando rewarded by making him the tenant for life of a neat and comfortable lodge in his park, an arrangement that gratified both the dependent and his protector. 
Orlando never passed through his own gate without being agreeably reminded, by the grateful alacrity of this contented servant, of his past afflictions and his present felicity. End of Volume 4, Chapter 13 End of Volume 4 End of The Old Manor House by Charlotte Turner Smith Recording by Julia Lenarden.